Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Mark chapter 10, we'll pick it up there in verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was going before them, so he's leading them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. The book of Mark is making a turn. And so we were involved with the ministry there in Galilee. Now we're going to be involved with the ministry in Jerusalem for the rest of the gospel of Mark. Now, the disciples of Jesus, along with thousands of others, were on their way to Jerusalem from Galilee. It was required of the Jews to go to Jerusalem for the celebration of the the Passover. Now, you've got to imagine the scene. It would be a lot like the mall at Christmas. There's families everywhere. Kids are running. And if you remember, at the return of one of these festivals, at 12 years old, Jesus even got lost. That's how many people would be going up to Jerusalem and then coming down from Jerusalem. Now, the disciples, the Bible says, they're amazed. Of course they are. If you remember from two weeks ago, Jesus has just told them, you're about to receive a hundredfold. You're going to get a hundredfold reward for following me. And here they are, and Jesus is the front runner. He's leading all of these people from Galilee. We're going to receive a hundredfold. This is it. This is when Jesus will take the kingdom. He's going to be the king of Israel. Matthew, oh, he was thinking, I'm going to be the chief tax collector. We know what James and John were thinking. One's going to sit on the right and one's going to sit on the left. Peter's thinking, you guys, I'm going to be vice president of all of Israel. I mean, you've got to know what was going on in their minds. They were amazed. But there was another group following. Take a look, if you would, in another version, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. You see, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus, the ESV is speaking, was walking ahead of them. So he's leading. And they were amazed, the disciples, and those who followed were afraid. There was another group outside of the disciples. And while the disciples are amazed, those that were following Jesus from Galilee, they're afraid. Because they knew that the Pharisees were against Jesus. They knew what they wanted to do to Jesus. They knew the cost. And if Jesus was going to Israel, like they all, excuse me, going to Jerusalem, like they all believed that he was going to be the king of Israel, then they were going to be the part of a revolution. And they knew, especially moms with their sons, especially dads with their children, they knew the cost of a revolution. Mark chapter 10, so Jesus on the way, take a look if you would again, verse 32, he takes the 12 aside again. And he begins to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, verse 33, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They'll condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. 
And the third day, he will rise again. Now, church, this is the third time that Jesus has told them this. It's the third time that he has told them the calling of God on his life. He told them in Mark chapter 8. Gave them greater detail in Mark chapter 9. And now in Mark chapter 10, he tells them for the third time. They didn't get it the first time. They didn't get it the second time. They don't even get it the third time. Take a look at Luke chapter 18, what Luke says about this very same moment. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They didn't know the things that were spoken. Now, church, don't give the disciples such a hard time for being so hard-headed. Have you ever struggled with something that God has told you to do or not to do? I mean, how many times or how many years did it take for you to get it? In fact, are you still struggling to forgive Aunt Susie because... So let's not give them such a hard time. But Jesus, he knew his calling. He knew that he was called to go to Jerusalem and to die. In fact... In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, he makes it very clear in this momentous change. And it says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. So when he was going to die, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what Isaiah would say? Isaiah would say that he would set his face as a flint. He was going to do what God had called him to do because that would glorify God. In fact, the greatest calling on all of our lives is to do whatever God has called us to do. In fact, if I was to sum up the Christian life, I would say the utmost concern for Christian living is to glorify God. Look at the example of Jesus. At the end of his life, in John 17, he says this, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. The way that we glorify God is that we do what he's called us to do. If you're a dad, if you have children, you have a calling on your life to be a biblical father. If you're a mother, you have a calling on your life to be a biblical mother. At your job, you have a calling on your life to preach the gospel, to make disciples. If you are a Christian, there's a calling on your life in the place that God has placed you. And for Jesus, he knew it was to go to the cross. And though the disciples didn't get it, he knew his way to glorify God. And following the example of Jesus... Oh, Paul, he would commend the church and he would say to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in fact, it's going to be our memory verse this week. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or or whatever you do, say it with me, do all. Okay, let's try it one more time. (laughs) Do all to the glory. So I have a question for you. What's your pursuit in life? Let me ask you another one. What are you trying to get out of life? What are you seeking to get out of life? Better yet, what are you seeking to do with your life? 
And like Jesus, at the end of your days, do you want to be able to say, I did everything I wanted to do. In fact, I did a funeral one time, and they played at his funeral. I did it my way. I thought to myself, what a sad song to sing at a funeral. What song do you want played? You see, the truth of the matter is, how will you answer this question? Well, how you will live your life. And what Mark does is that he gives us two examples. Unfortunately, one of them is the disciples. They wanted to live life for themselves. And then Mark is going to give us another example of a man who chose to live his life for Jesus. But ultimately, with Jesus as our example, the greatest pursuit that we should have in life is to glorify God. Now let's pick it up in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, as we see the example of the disciples. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, let's see where this one's going. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand on the other on your left in your glory. Now stop there if you would for a moment. The road from Galilee to Jerusalem is a long road, so they've taken a break. And the reason I know they've taken a break is because these two disciples are taking advantage of the opportunity. When Matthew records this incident, he gives us a little bit of insight. Would you look at the screen? It's Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to to him with her sons, kneeling down. So Jesus is off, taking a little break from the road from Galilee, and Salome comes, she kneels down before the Lord, and she begins to ask him something. James and John are very smart. Let me tell you something about Salome. Salome used to make, well, the hummus, cut the tomatoes, the cucumbers, and the onions. She used to make the rice. She used to cook up the lamb. She was one that took care of the physical needs to feed Jesus. And everyone knows the way to get to a man's heart is through his stomach. Send me a chocolate chip cookie. I'll give you whatever you need, okay? It's just what we know. And so James and John are very smart. Hey, mom. Would you go to Jesus first? You've been cooking for him. Would you just prepare the way for us? And so she does. There on this little break, she kneels down before the Lord and she says, listen, I got a question. So they send mommy in first. And having prepared the way, they come in and they ask, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I don't want you to be bothered by this question. Because you might think this question is arrogant, but I would say it's not arrogant, it's just ambitious. Because Jesus doesn't rebuke the question. Jesus doesn't even shut them down. In fact, he invokes them. And he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And I need to help you understand, they had just heard from Jesus, you're going to receive a hundredfold reward. That's what they had just heard. Jesus had taught them, seek and you shall find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will open. They think they're being obedient. In fact, James and John had heard from Jesus in Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, this. Jesus says to them, assuredly, in other words, you can take it to the bank. 
I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They know they're getting a throne. They just want the prime seat. How many of us want to sit on the front row when we go to the movies? We come out with a crick neck. We're even willing to pay a little bit more for ILG so that we can watch the movie. Well, James and John, they're willing to pay the cost of it. And they're willing to go to Jesus and say, listen, we know we're getting the throne. We would just like to determine which seat. The right and the left. The most important seats. You know what blows my mind? The thing that stands out to me, they're still clueless about what Jesus has spoken to them. They're still clueless about what they're walking into. The only thing they're thinking about the entire walk is themselves. God has spoken the word to them. He has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And the only thing they can think of is what they want out of life. They are completely ignoring God's word in their life. They have made the decision. This is what I want out of my life. No matter what God says, I want the glory. Take a look what Jesus says. We'll pick it up in Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 10. But Jesus said to him, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, listen to this, we are able. So Jesus says to him, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized But to sit on the right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. You don't know what you're asking. I tell this to young men all the time. I have asked Jesus to give me that girl as my bride, and I'm just praying, Lord Jesus, please let her be my wife. You know what I say? You don't know what you're asking. Listen, young women have said to me all the time, I have seen his biceps. I know he's from Jesus. I know he's from Jesus, and I've been praying. And I say to them, you don't know what you're asking. Let me tell you, church, be careful what you ask for in prayer. You may get it. Jesus knows that they are seeking something. They are seeking something to get out of life. They are seeking position. They are seeking power. They are seeking prestige and portfolio. In fact, they are seeking the great American dream. They want all the glory that this life can offer. They even think we can handle it. Jesus goes, are you able? We can do it. We are able. Now, let me tell you what this word means. This word able is the word dunamai. It's where we get a word like dynamite. Like it's powerful. They're basically saying we have the power. We can handle it. We can do it. Give it to us, Jesus. But listen to the question. Are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized with my baptism? 
Jesus is surely not asking them to put the sins of the world upon their shoulders. He is leading them to the fact that he's headed to the cross. And he's asking them, are you willing to pick up your cross? You see, the disciples feel entitled. We've been following you, Jesus. You've said we're going to get a hundredfold. So listen, we want the glory. The disciples wanted the position without the hard work of getting to a championship. Let me tell you what my coach used to always tell me. I would grab the end of the pool and I would be like, oh, I can't go on. And he would look at me and he goes, you know what pain is? Pain is weakness leaving the body. Keep going, Jet. We got a championship that we're praying for. And in order to get to the championship of heaven, we got to suffer the flesh. We got to get rid of flesh. That's what the Bible is calling us to. But sometimes we feel entitled. Lord, just take it from me. We don't want to suffer it ourselves. We want the power, but we don't want the time that it takes to gain the wisdom to be able to handle the power. Lord, we've been following you. I mean, we've been with you. Just give it to us. Tell you a little chat fact. When I was working at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, in October, I would start working for Walmart. I wanted to have enough money to be able to get my kids some gifts for Christmas. And so I would work all day at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, go home, take a nap. Then I would go to Walmart at 11 o'clock and I would work their night shift till 7 a.m. And I would be stocking shelves. That's what I did. Okay. Now listen, I need to let you know that Walmart agrees with God. Because if you want to be a general manager at Walmart, you've got to work in health and beauty. You've got to work in toys you got to stock shelves. you got to put boxes away. you got to roll boxes out into the aisle so that other people can stock them. You've got to work in every department as a cashier and then in customer service. And you will not be a general manager until you've had the time in every department. Even Walmart agrees with God. Sometimes we need the time in order to hold on to the power. They wanted the prestige but they didn't want the experience that builds our character. I need you to see something. Jesus doesn't challenge the request. He doesn't stop them from asking this. He doesn't even rebuke him. He even says he's going to grant it. You will indeed, he says to them. What he's challenging is their motives and the means to get what they're asking. Their motives. They know they're doing something wrong. They're on a break walking to Jerusalem. And you notice none of the other disciples are with them. It's only their mom and the two of them. So they know that what they're doing is not exactly going to be kosher with the other disciples. They want the glory. That's their motive. Their whole aim is we want to sit on the right and the left. We want the most that life can offer. We desire the American dream. Come on, Jesus, give it to us but they don't understand the means. And so Jesus challenges them. You see, they want it simply by asking for it. Come on, Jesus, we deserve it. We're followers of you. We're children of the king. We're royalty, sons and daughters of the king. We should get whatever we want whenever we ask it. That's just the way that it works. And Jesus makes it very clear. He makes it very clear that all the glory that is offered on earth must always come by means of of a cross. 
choosing to die to ourself in order to allow Christ to live through us. How he wants to live through us, where he wants us to live, when he wants us to live. The means to glory is by the way of the road that leads us through the cross. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. That's the means of the glory. Take a look at our disciples, if you would. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 41. Mark chapter 10, verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased. They're really mad with James and John. Jesus called them to himself and said to them. Now let me explain what's happening here. The disciples are really mad. And let me tell you what I believe they're mad about. They're mad that James and John got to Jesus before they did. They were all just arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They wanted to sit on the right and the left. And they're mad that they were smart enough to send mommy in first and then get to Jesus before they... They were all plotting about who would sit at the right or the left. That's what they're arguing about. And Jesus knows it. So Jesus, take a look if you would. In verse 42, he called them to himself and he said to them, not just James and John, because he knows what every single one of them are struggling with. And he says this, you know that those who are considered rulers, in other words, you know what you grow up with, those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. They love power and their great ones exercise authority over them. They love to tell people what to do. Yet, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And maybe you'll circle that word. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave. And maybe you'll circle that word of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is comparing the way of the world as compared to the way of the word. And leaders in the world, they love power and they love to tell people what to do. They love the glory on earth. The leaders of heaven. Leaders of heaven live to give glory to God. They're servants. Now this is an important word. It's the word diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. It means waiter. That's what it means. Now, for Father's Day yesterday, me and my kids, we went out. My son got to gradu- graduate in high school yesterday. So afterwards, we kind of did like a duo, Father's Day, happy, you know, graduation day. And the guy comes to, and gives me the check. And he's been helping us all along. Would you like some salt? Would you like some pepper? Would you like some more water? Here's your food. He served us faithfully the entire time that we've been there. And there's 14 of us, okay? My family, Zach's family, we're all celebrating together. And there he is. He's constantly coming out. He's constantly serving. So my daughter, because of Father's Day, she takes the check and she secretly goes to go pay it. And I see it. So as the dad, I quickly run behind her, and I look at the guy that's about to run the credit card, and I said, you're making a grave mistake. And he goes, why? And I said, she doesn't tip. She's cheap, she's got no money, and I'm telling you, you're making a bad business decision. And the guy goes, here's your card back, miss. And I give my card, and she goes, dad, that's not fair. It might not be fair, but it's true. And she goes, a little bit. And I go, dude, you are making, and you have served us well. You deserve a great tip. 
he comes after, after I tip him, and I love to tip and I love to bless. So he comes to me afterwards and he goes, dude, thank you. Thank you for blessing us. Listen, he deserved it. He was a great waiter. Here's your salt. Here's your pepper. Here's your water. And Jesus is saying, that's who we are in the kingdom. You need salt? You need pepper? What do you need? Some more water? How can I serve? But then he uses another word. It's an interesting word. It's the word doulos. It means slave. And I want to tell you what this word means in the Greek. It's very important. You see, what this word means is that someone is completely surrendered to the will of another. A doulos. You see, what Jesus is saying and what he's making very clear He's making it very clear that we should be completely surrendered to the will of God for our lives. That gives God glory. Our greatest aim, like Jesus, is to do what God has asked us to do. So at the end of our lives, as a doulos of God, we are able to say, I've glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. And then Jesus uses himself as an example. This verse is the pinnacle. It's the highlight. It is the mountaintop of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. I came to do the will of God. And here's what the will of God is for me. To give my life as a ransom for many. And I'm going to do it. And I'm committed to it because this will glorify God in my life. No matter how I feel about it, no matter whether I want to do it, I'm doing it because God will be glorified by me doing what he's asking me to do. Now what Mark does is he takes us to a different scene. And he's going to help us further understand now a different illustration, unlike the disciples, of a man that had a different approach to life. Remember the question, what are you seeking in life? Take a look. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude... Uh, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now remember, Mark is writing a Roman audience. Every Jew would have known that bar means son of. But because Romans don't know Judaism or Hebrew, he says the son of Timaeus to describe it. Sat by the road begging. When he'd heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jericho was the final rest stop before you started making the climb to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jericho is actually about 1,300 feet below sea level. So the climb from Jericho to Jerusalem is 3,700 feet. So before you would start making the climb, you'd stop, you'd get your in and out, you'd get your Arby's, you'd take a little break before you head on up to Jerusalem. And they would head up to up this windy road, a mountain road, going up to Jerusalem. Now, you know this road. Because this is the road where the guy got beat up that the Good Samaritan found. It's the Jericho Road. And you would never go up that road by yourself. No, this is thousands of people that are going up this road to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. 
Imagine the noise. Imagine the celebrations as people are singing songs. They're almost there to Jerusalem. Imagine the kids. How much further do I have to go? Dad, can you just hold me? There's a lot of noise with several thousand people going up this mountain road. And on the way out, there's one man. and He's heard that Jesus is leading the group. He cries out, Jesus, identifies him, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, this guy's a, he's a believer. He identifies who he wants, Jesus. And then he says, and he calls him son of David. Now let me tell you what that term means. That term means you are the Messiah. I believe it. That is a term that is reserved only for the Messiah, the son of the living God. This guy is a believer and he's letting everyone know. He doesn't care. I believe, Jesus, you're the son of David. He's a believer, but he's a beggar. He's a beggar. This man knew suffering. He knew the hard work that led to a championship. This man has been begging on the side of the road and it produced in him a humility. And in his humility, he simply states, have mercy on me. Did you hear the plea? His only plea is for mercy. Now let me tell you what mercy means. Please don't give me what I deserve. Do you hear the humility in that? I don't care what you do with my life. I know who you are. But please just don't give me what I deserve. Church, we deserve death, but he gives us life. We deserve punishment, but he gives us reward. There is no entitlement in this man's voice. There's nothing about him that says, I've been following you. I deserve to have the car. I deserve to have the house. I deserve to have what I want in this life. I want the glory. No, not this guy. This guy approaches Jesus with humility. The wisest thing, this man knew the wisest thing that he could do was put his life in the mercy hands of Christ. And I love the crowd. The crowd wanted him silenced. Shh, you're an embarrassment. Do you know that there are people sitting amongst you that are just like this man and they are crying out to Jesus? And when you hear their voice and they're singing with everything they've got, is it an embarrassment like, oh, I wish this person would stop singing so loud as they're crying out to God? And the crowd... This crowd looks at Bartimaeus and goes, listen, shh, just be quiet. You're embarrassing us. But this guy, he would not be silenced by the crowd. He would even scream louder because he was determined for Christ to hear him. He was determined to surrender his life to the mercy of Christ. Do what you will with my life, but show me Mercy. And the Bible says he cried out even louder. Now we're going to participate in something, okay? You know me, I'm crazy, so just stay with me, all right? Here's what I want you to do I want you to look at the person next to you 
and I want you to ask them, okay? Hey, what are you doing today? How's it going? What are you going for Father's Day? Are you going to call your dad? Go ahead. Start the conversation. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Obviously, you didn't get the point. Everyone has to participate, okay? This is an interactive Bible study. Even you guys in the back, okay? I'm watching, okay? I'm watching. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to start in conversation with the person next to you. Okay, go ahead. Start the conversation. Go ahead. Hey, so how are you? How's it going? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And look what happens. There are thousands of people going up to Jerusalem. And this guy is desperate to overcome the crying children, to overcome the wives and the husbands in argument as they're climbing up 3,700 feet, to overcome all of the noise, all of the singing. And he cries out, Jesus, even louder, son of David. See, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. People use this scripture that we got to shout to heaven. That's the way we get God's attention. And Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you would. And they start screaming at God. You have to understand, don't make this scripture your theology. He was just trying to get over the noise of the crowd. We don't yell at God. We don't scream at God and say to God, you better answer me because I'm a child of the king. That's not the heart of this man. And I'm going to prove it to you. In Mark chapter 10, by the way, thank you for participating with me. I hope you got the point. Mark chapter 10. Some of you are thinking, I've heard this guy is crazy. He actually is. Mark chapter 10. Take a look what happens in verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Remember, Jesus is leading the crowd. And the crowd has told this guy, could you please be quiet? I want you to see what happens when now Jesus pays attention to the guy. Look what happens. Then they called the blind man saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling you. Oh, look whose attitude has changed towards someone. Here's this guy crying out to Jesus and they don't want to pay him any attention. And now that Jesus is giving him some attention, the whole crowd is now changed their opinion about this guy. This guy got Jesus' attention. Let me tell you something. It's not because he shouted at Jesus. The, the, the volume of his shout is not what got Jesus a hold of him because Jesus heard him from the very beginning. What got Jesus' attention of this believer was the sincerity of his heart. And we've got to be careful the way that we approach heaven. We can't approach heaven shouting at God and like entitled, spoiled brats, you better give me what I'm asking for you because I am following you and I'm a royal child of the king and I'm a son of God and you better give it to me now. Be careful what you ask. Because no longer is this crowd silencing him. They're all excited about what Jesus can do. Because let me tell you who this crowd is. This is the crowd from Galilee. They know what Jesus can do. 
They know that the lame can walk and the blind can see and the leper can be healed. So when they go to the guy, oh, dude, he's calling you and we know what's about to happen. You're going to be able to see in just a couple minutes. You got to get to Jesus and take a look what he does. Would you look with me? At verse 50, throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. He rips off his lower garment. And let me tell you what that means. He's running to Jesus. And can I remind you, he's blind. No one's helping him. And this guy heard the word of Jesus and is running to him. This is what Paul is talking about, the walk of faith. He can't see Jesus, but he's responding to his word. That's us. We're blind Bartimaeus. We can't see Jesus, but we know when he speaks to us, and we've got to make the decision, will we glorify him when he speaks to us and run towards him like blind Bartimaeus? And in Mark chapter 10, verse 51, look what Jesus says. He answered and said to him, look at the question, what do you want me to do for you? Mark is making it very clear. This is the same question that Jesus asked the disciples. The motives were different. And I'm convinced that Jesus went like this. He looked at blind Bartimaeus who couldn't see him. He looked at blind Bartimaeus and the disciples are standing over here and he goes, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Same question, different motives. This is a powerful lesson for the disciples and for you and I to understand. He's training the 12. Look Look what the man does. The blind man said to him, Rabboni. Now that word means my master. You're my master. And basically what he's saying is, I've pleaded for mercy, and you know what's best for me. And I am willing to be your doulos. I'm willing to surrender to your will. You're the master. I'm the servant. But I have a request. And here's my request, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What a different response than the disciples got because the heart and the motive was just different. Now, what I love about this, Jesus gives him his sight and none of us in this room are surprised. In fact, we don't even read in the Bible that the people were amazed and astonished because these were the Jews from Galilee. They were used to Jesus changing people's lives. They were used to the blind being able to see and the lame being able to walk. That's why when someone comes forward at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we all erupt in applause because we know what Jesus is about to do. He's going to change this person's life forever. That's what Jesus does. He changes lives. But the most important thing I want us to see is why Bartimaeus wanted to see. Look with me as we close in verse 52. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. His prayer 
was guided by the fact that he simply wanted to glorify God to follow Jesus. Lord, let me see, because my whole life I've been waiting for this moment, I want to follow you. Give me spiritual sight, Jesus, because today I want to follow you. His prayer was not for himself. It was not for his glory. He wanted to see so that he would be able to follow Jesus. Now i got a question. What do you want to get out of life? What do you pray about? What do you want? Is it the American dream that you're praying for, or is your motive, Lord, and your prayers revolve around the fact to do what God is calling you to do? When my son came to me and said, I'm not sure which college I'm going to, maybe this one, this one, or this one, my response was, which one does Jesus want you to go to? And how many of us go before God with, okay, God, here's your menu. You can pick one. Or do we go to God with a blank sheet of paper and say, here's my life. Begin writing. I will follow. For blind Bartimaeus, he sets an example for us that we should be able, like Jesus at the end of our life, to say, I glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. Now listen, church. I started with a story. The story was of a woman who believed she deserved protection. She was even bargaining with God, if you don't do it, I'm going to renounce you. And God, because he's a great father, by his grace, he spoke through her and accomplished a greater opportunity. How do you approach God? Do you approach God as the entitled son or daughter? I'm following. You better give me that husband. You better give me that wife. Otherwise, I'm leaving. Or do you go to God? My life is yours. I will follow. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I ask now that as we take a moment, as we take a moment, that you, Lord, would speak to and through us Now we ask your spirit to move in Jesus' name. Amen. The disciples wanted the glory. The problem is the glory of the world will never satisfy. It's probably why you're here. You've tried relationships, but they just haven't filled you up. And you think, oh, it's just the next girl. She'll be better. But she's not. You tried money. And no matter how much money you gain, you still want more. It's never enough. No matter how many parts you put on your car, it still doesn't look like what you think it should. You see, God has left something in you that will never be satisfied with anything in the world because he's pursuing you. And so he leaves that dissatisfaction because he's the only one that can satisfy The disciples, they wanted the glory. They wanted everything the world had to offer, but it doesn't satisfy. You're here today, and you're left with the 
dissatisfaction because God wants you to know he's the only one that can satisfy. And let me give you a truth. Every single one of us in here will take a last breath. And you will either be in hell, separated from God for an eternity, or you will be in heaven with God for an eternity. And the only way to get there is through his son, Jesus Christ. And once you have him, you will know what satisfaction is. When you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you are believers. You're like blind Bartimaeus on the road. You want to follow, but you got some blindness. Something has held you back from following with all of your heart. But today you can make a decision like blind Bartimaeus. He was public. He didn't care who heard him. He didn't care who saw him. He screamed out as loud as he can. I need you. I know who you are, and I'm surrendering my life today. And all I want to do is be able to see. And you need to make that decision today as a believer and completely surrender your life so that you can completely follow. So as Gannon begins to sing this song, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat if you don't know Jesus and you want to know that you have eternal life. Or if you're a believer and like blind Bartimaeus, something's been blinding you, but today you want to surrender your whole life and publicly, like blind Bartimaeus, say, I'm going to follow. You be the first to get out of your seat like everyone else in our first two services and make the decision publicly, I'm following the Lord. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.